Um, cruise ship, battleship, great metaphors for the church. Often, people, if we're honest, we can get into that cruise ship mentality when we come to view the life of the church, where it becomes about our preferences and, and our needs and our wants. But imagine, though, a church where the Word of God is, is changing lives, where disciples are faithfully walking by the Spirit, and where disciples are being equipped, raised up, and unleashed to minister and literally be a battleship-type church. And that's what we see happening in, in Jerusalem, in, in the first church, in the first century, as the Holy Spirit has come upon the church, working in and through them to empower them to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ, spreading the gospel, and we see the number of disciples being made increase one after another by the hundreds and even, yes, by the thousands. And so today as we look at Acts chapter 6, as Mike read for us, we see the empowered church, the spirit-empowered church, even in the midst of obstacles within and also without, they continue to grow, and as they see these new obstacles coming, they hit them head on, and they take care of these challenges very well with keeping the aim of the noble mission that they're on ahead of them in focused. And so this morning, I want us to see this spirit-empowered church. I want us to sit back and say, okay, what kind of church do I want to be a part of? What kind of church do I, I want to, be the rid, uh, to see the ridge continue to become? And this morning, I think we get a great picture of what it should look like. And so look at verse 1 of chapter 6 as we begin today. We're going to walk through this, this whole chapter. There's so much here, so much good stuff today. I want you to, to see that, that God has pinned down for us. I think that he wants to stir our hearts with today. And look at verse 1. It says, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number. And, and, and so we've heard that a few times already through our study in the book of Acts that the church is growing, it's increasing, and we'll continue to hear that. The gospel was going forth. More and more people were responding by faith in Christ alone, and now walking by the Spirit of God, following Jesus as his disciples. And they did so with a clear and noble mission. If you remember what Jesus said before he left this earth, before he ascended into heaven, in Matthew 28, verse 19, do you remember the, the, the mission that he gave to the disciples? This was to be their focus. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I've commanded you. And he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you as you pursue that great, noble mission. And that's what the church is to do. It's what we're to be. We're to be disciples and to make disciples. It's not something of yesterday. It's not something that's gone and past. No, this is still God's longing for his church today and will be till he returns. It's what we long for here at the Ridge is to be disciples, to make disciples. This is our clear and noble mission. And so the question is, what kind of church do you want to be a part of? What kind of church do you want the Ridge to be. And at the end of the day, our answer should be, I, I want the church that Jesus wants. I want to be a church that is making disciples. I want to be a church like in verse 1 where it says the disciples were increasing in number. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of that process. I want to be a part of that work. That's a noble mission. That's a hill worth taking. 
and that I'll sacrifice for, that I'll even lay my life down for. And if we look at verse 1, in the midst of this growth, in the midst of this fixed mission, this fixed focus, something happens. An obstacle comes up in the road. And then look at the rest of verse 1. It says, while the increase was happening, a complaint arose on part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. You see, life within the church will include pressures, pressures within, obstacles within, problems within, and even uh, problems without. It's what the enemy loves to do. He loves to throw a wrench in things, to try to get us off track from the aim, from the main goal of making disciples. And so within the church, there will always be problems, obstacles, And that's what we find here, a complaint arose. And so what we have is literally the word complaint is murmuring. It's grumbling. Uh, The Hellenistic Jews were grumbling because their widows were not being served food. The distribution of food to the poor and to the needy, and specifically in this case to the widows, it wasn't working. But I love what happens here, that the church doesn't see it as something that impedes them, but instead they see it as an opportunity to truly be the church, to show the grace and the love of Jesus. But there's an underlining issue here. You got two groups. You got this crew over here called the Hellenistic Jews. You got this crew over here called the native Hebrews. And in Jerusalem, they were the two uh, groups of Jews present. And what, before they would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior like these had, they, there were many different synagogues in the city, tons of them. And they would have separate synagogues for these two groups. One, if you were a Hellenistic Jew, you would go worship at a Hellenistic Jew uh, synagogue. If you were a native Hebrew, you go worship at a native Hebrew synagogue. That's where you would go. But when they came to faith, they came together. And there were some differences between these groups. The Hellenistic Jews uh, were those who had been scattered, and they were outside of Palestine at one, one time. Now they're back into Palestine. And they were a group, they spoke Greek. When they read the Old Testament, they read the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. Then the native Jews, um, or Hebrews, they were those who spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, and they read from um, the Hebrew Old Testament. And that was something that divided them at times. They had cultural issues that caused tension. And so you had these two groups, and by the gospel, that's what the gospel does, is it takes these two divided groups, it brings them together when they come to know Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean there's not tension at times. It doesn't mean there's baggage that they bring with them because they did and and there was issues there. And specifically here, the Hellenistic Jews are like, hey, listen, our widows are not being cared for. And so the apostles, who many believe for the most part were native Hebrews, see this issue and, and they don't just sweep it under the rug. You, you read, look what happens next. It says, the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now, you, you read that, you might say, whoa, 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 whoa. So, so what are they going to do here? Now, they're not overlooking it. They don't think they're above serving and, and helping with food to the poor and the needy and to the widows. That's not the case. But look at verse 3. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, 
full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this specific task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word. And so the disciples didn't ignore the problem. They recognized that there was a need. There was a need for organization. There was a need for administration of ministry to widows who needed cared for care for them properly, specifically with food. You remember in James chapter 1, James, who was uh, the church leader at this time in Jerusalem, he wrote this in a letter. He said, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself unstained by the world. So the 12 disciples, they delegate the opportunity, they delegate the authority of this task of distributing foods, uh, food to widows to a group within the church. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Would it have been wrong for the apostles to step up and done this on their own? Would it have been wrong? Think about that. Here's this need, this need gets brought to them. They're in charge with teaching the word. They're in charge with praying. That's their calling. That's what they've been called and set apart to do. Is it wrong if they say, hey, you know what? We're going to go and we're going to do this work of, of helping the widows. Is it wrong? Here's how I would put it. I, I would say emphatically, yes, it is wrong. You might say, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Why is it wrong? Here's what happens. If, if they go in to serve the widows, the teaching of the word, the ministry of prayer is not done the way it was done before. In, in fact, it's, it's pushed to the side and, and who knows how much time they get to devote to that. And not only that, and here's, here's where we could even say they're, they're ripping off the church. If they go and do this and they don't handle it the way they do here, they're ripping off the church because they're not equipping the church to do the work of ministry because that's what the church is to do. Ephesians 4, Paul says real clearly that I've said, called some to be pastors and elders with the goal of specifically equipping the church to unleash the church to do the work of ministry. And so what happens is if the apostles take this on, they are ripping the rest of the church off. By not equipping the church and not unleashing them to do this work. And what are they doing? They're robbing the church the opportunity to serve. And they're basically telling the congregation, you come, you sit, you take, you receive, we got it. That's not church. And so these guys... They do the right thing here. They're like, hey, we gotta teach, we gotta pray. We're not above this, not one bit, not one bit. But they faithfully do what God has called them to do as leaders. And instead of ripping the church off, they choose rightly. You see, sometimes very good things, because this is a very good thing to serve and take care of widows, a very good thing, a noble task. But sometimes even good things can cause the church to get off track. It can threaten the advancement of the word of God of making disciples. And so the apostles show us, show us right here how to handle this obstacle. And it's a great lesson for us. As they charge 
the church with the task of choosing specifically. If we look at the text here, um, in verse 3, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. Now, what was that task? It was to serve tables. And literally, what that means is to distribute food for the widows. That word serve there is huge. It comes from the word diakoneho. And if you hear that word, and maybe it makes you think of another word, uh, that word is where we get the word deacon from, that the office of deacon or the office of deaconess uh, that we find in the New Testament as well. And so what is that? It is to serve. It's to serve. And, and that's what Jesus came to do. You remember Jesus said this, I I did not come to be served, so I didn't come to have a cruise ship mentality, but Jesus says, I came to serve. I I came with a battleship mentality, so much so to lay my life down as a ransom. And so these that the church was looking for, they're looking for servants, and that's what the church is to be. We are to serve. We're to serve. But they weren't just looking for people that had a pulse, right? They weren't going around and saying, hey, you got a pulse away, hey, we got to come serve. No, these are people with good reputation. What does that mean, the first thing? That they, they were a good witness. They were respected in their community. They were honorable. They had integrity. They had purity. They had character that was above reproach as they depended solely on the grace of God. They were full of the Spirit. They were those who redeemed By Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelled in them. Not only that, they walked according to the Spirit of God. They lived in obedience to God's will. In fact, as those who were full of the Spirit, I believe this verse embodies what these guys probably were were like. In 2 Timothy 2, 21 through 22, there were probably those who cleansed themselves from wickedness, from being a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work, fleeing youthful lusts and pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from pure heart. That's who these guys were. The third characteristic, they were those of wisdom. They took every opportunity to walk wisely and not foolishly. They were men who lived in a way that when you saw them, you knew the gospel was true. It was evident in their life. They were free from the fear of men. They lived at peace with others. They practiced the one another's. They bore fruit with repentance. They're men who had been with Jesus, just as we see in Acts 4, 13, who were in his word, who spent time praying. Now, something that's implied here, I want you to look at the text. If, if you know this about these guys, they're of good reputation, they're full of the Spirit, They have wisdom. What's implied here? If the church is commissioned to say, hey, you got to choose these guys, and here's their qualities, what's implied? These guys right here, these seven, they're in community. They're in community. They're doing life with the church. They're, They're not isolated. And that's huge. We we see that in the text. These are not men, they're just, you know, isolating, hiding out in the body. Now, they're, they're plugged in. They're doing life with the church, and that's what the church is to be, is a, is a community. Not isolated people, but community. They're connected. They're doing life together because isolation is not good. If we're isolated, what happens? We're not known. Our needs aren't known. There's no accountability. There's no exhortation coming our way. There's no encouragement coming our way. And what does that equal? Dangerous. Dangerous. 
But in the community, what happens is, is, is you know others and you're known. Your needs are known. You're exhorted. You're encouraged. You're challenged. And we need that. And these guys evidently had that. They were known. They were known. And who they were was known. And these are those that God is looking for to use. They were battleship ready. Now look at verse 5 and 6. Who are these guys and what happens? It says, the statement found approval with the whole congregation. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, of the Holy Spirit, and then Philip. Those are the two guys that we know the most about. We're going to find out more about Stephen, more about Philip in the weeks ahead. And then you have the list of these other guys. These names right here, it seems like these are Hellenistic Jews, most likely, by their Greek names. And so here, these native Hebrews, these leaders, and they recognize, hey, you know what? We, we need to be wise. The church needs to be wise. We are going to choose Hellenistic Jews to, to help serve. It was wise to show that, hey, you know, we're together in this thing. There's diversity in our body, and we embrace that, and we love that. And that's what the gospel does. And they did that. And they serve together. And what we see right here is teamwork. Look what happens. It says, they brought them before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them to say, hey, listen, we commission you. We give you authority to do this task, to serve and to do it well. I get excited about this. I, I love this section of Scripture. These first six verses get me jazzed. Because the solution to the obstacle was what? The diversity of gifts, the diversity of calling, and it's the teamwork of the body of Christ. And we've got to have it. We've got to have it. We've got to have teamwork where you have those preaching the word of God, teaching children and students, prayer warriors, um, life group leaders, and yes, even greeters, right? If it was up to me, if, I were to, if anyone would say, hey, what, if, if, if you got to pick one job, like if it was up to you, I would greet. I'd be a greeter. I love to greet. There's some of you in here like, I'm, I'm fearful of it. I wouldn't do that in a heartbeat. But I love to greet. I love that. I love welcoming people. Jesus tells us we're to welcome one another. We're to greet one another. And I think it's so impactful of what that can do. And I want you to see why. I want you to listen to this video real quick. I want you to hear this. About 13 years ago, uh, we came to Vista Ridge Baptist Church one morning. I was um, eight and a half months <laughs> along with Blake, and we had a two-year-old, Austin. And um, we walked in, and I really didn't want to be there because I was really uncomfortable, and I was um, just just would rather stay at home, but. We were greeted at the door by a couple, Randy and Trey Israel, and um, when we walked in and Randy just took me, took me under her wing and I just knew I was at home. And um, they took us back to the children's area, um, introduced us to uh, Kristen Mathis, who uh, was teaching Austin's class and he got to meet Andrew, and they've been uh, fast friends ever since. And um, you know, now we do life group with the Mathises. Here we are 13 years down the road. We've done uh, youth ministry with the Israels and um, all sorts of mission projects. And, um, but really, really the biggest thing is that we've, that we've done together is we've done life just 
and not just in life groups. Um, the people who greeted me that day were the people that became our family. And, um, you know, I don't remember what the sermon was about that day, and I don't remember the music. Sorry, Jerry, John, <laughs> you weren't there, but <laughs> the music and, and the sermon weren't what I remember about that day. What I remember are the people that greeted us. Um, I remember the Garmonies came to our house later that afternoon, brought us an apple pie. <laughs> um, and two weeks later, when Blake was born, um, people were showing up at our house bringing us meals. And I thought, who are these people? <laughs> Um, they would just take us in like that and um, just make us their family. That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's it. You know what I love about that? 13 years later, Courtney is uh, director of our preschool ministry here. Jimmy's an elder uh, here at the church. They've been faithful serving and, and ministry and missions and, and, and what I love about it is it all started with, with being greeted at the door by being greeted at the door and, and then taken and, and greeted by someone else and, and then life changes and, and, and I love that because as servants we never know the impact we're going to have with even a greeting with even a greeting of welcoming someone that you could be welcoming a potential family member. And you can impact their life where, where a greeter becomes more than just a greeter, but a greeter becomes an evangelist. A greeter becomes eventually a pastor, a shepherd, as their life group leaders. Eventually, that's what got to happen in that story. A, a greeter eventually becomes more than just a greeter. And at 9 o'clock, I, I get to teach uh, a crew of people who are serving your, some of your children right now. And uh, I get to hang with them. We were talking at 9 a, about this and how as those who are investing in the next generation, man, they, they are evangelists. They are teachers. They are shepherding kiddos in there. They're coming alongside you, the parents, and doing that. And, man, that's awesome. That's amazing. And that's the church. That's the church. That's the church. Everybody as a team serving together, having their role, having their part. Maybe it's a role that, that, that isn't even out there yet. You come up with something creative, a ministry or whatever. And you're like, hey, we've got to serve this. And, and you know what? That's what happens even here in Acts chapter 6. There was a need and people stepped up and they served. And that's what the church is to do. While all along keeping the aim and the focus on target of making disciples. And that's what Luke does. Look what happens in verses 7 real quick. And then we're going to ramp and run real quick here. Look what he does in verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading. The number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. You know what Luke does right here? He does his touchdown dance. Like he's celebrating right here. He said, guess what? It's still happening. It's still happening. There's needs that have come up. There's obstacles that have come up. But guess what? It's still happening. Disciples are still increasing. And his mind gets blown because now priests, who before in chapter 4 are disgruntled, and they're hostile toward the apostles. And now they're the ones even coming to faith. And then look what Luke does in verse 8. And I just want to read 
two sections here. Look what he says. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders, signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Syrians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up. They argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, they came up to him, dragged him away, brought him before the council. What I love about this, and, and why I think we cannot separate it from the first part is this, is Stephen. He took on a task within the body of Christ, but that's not where it ended for him. You see, because this was a lifestyle to him. A lifestyle of serving. Yes, taking care of the needs of the poor and the needy. But then also, he witnessed he witnessed. It was his life. He was an apologetics, man. He, he stood up for Jesus. And, and so that, that's a word for us that, hey, listen, it's not just, hey, put, you know, get ready for Sunday. Hey, we're going, we're going to church. That we're not going, we are the church. And so um, we could say we're going to be with the church. But it's not just we, we show up and, and we do this thing and, and maybe we do our act of service and then that's it and then we're, we're off to the week. No, it's, we gather here, we, we hang out with the church, we love the church, we serve the church, we get equipped and we go and then worship continues, service continues, witness continues. It keeps going on and on. And that's what Luke was saying here. The beat goes on, it keeps going on and on as we make disciples. And that's what Stephen's doing here as he holds out the word of hope. But look what happens as he does. And here we see pressure against the church from the outside. And look what happens in verse 13. They put forward false witnesses who said, this man insistently speaks against this holy place and the law. I want you to remember that. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. What do we learn about Stephen here? He, man, he was filled with the Spirit of God. He walked by the Spirit of God. And we see it evident even in his demeanor, how he carried himself, they even recognize, wow, this is a guy who has the glory of God all over him, all over him. But look what happens, and, and this is where I want to point to, because Stephen's life pointed to Jesus. As we think about the Spirit-empowered church this morning, what do we see? We, we, we see a, a church that is fixed on the main aim, the focus of making disciples. Second, they serve. The church serves. And while they're serving, while they're doing all different things to take care of physical and spiritual needs, the beat goes on as they continue to make disciples. But the, the third thing that we see right here is they're fixed on Jesus. They continue to, to be what Jesus wanted them to be, the, the church that has the Spirit upon them, the power of God upon them to be what? His witnesses, and that's what he's doing here. But how is he doing this? And I, I want us to wrap up on this, and, and then we're gonna go and celebrate communion together. But I, but I see a great truth here that, that I want us to capture. Because look at verse 14, listen to what they say. They said, this is what this man has said, that they believe it's blasphemous against the temple and against the law. Those were the things that connected them to God. That's what they believed. 
And so that's why they said it's blasphemous. But look what they say in verse 14. We've heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place later, uh, or excuse me, and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. They're saying Stephen is saying this. Now, Stephen is saying something very similar to what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus was accused of the very same thing that Stephen said here. But what did Jesus say when he was here on earth? Listen to these words in John chapter 2, 19 through 21. Jesus says this. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. But he was speaking in verse 21, it tells us, of the temple of his body. When Jesus said those words, he was talking about his body, that his body, the temple, would be destroyed. He would die, and on the third day, he would raise again. And so it's interesting here. What Stephen says is, yes, the same thing that Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying is, yes, the same thing that Stephen was testifying to. And how is that so? And this is what I want to close with this morning, is that Jesus was saying, when I die, the temple dies. When I am destroyed, my body is destroyed on the cross, the temple is destroyed. The whole system, all these sacrifices, all this blood flowing to make atonement for sins, all this priestly activity surrounding the holy place where God's presence dwells, that's what they believed, it all ends when I die. You destroy me, Jesus says, and in dying, I destroy the temple. Jesus takes the place of everything in the temple. This is why the curtain in the temple tore when Jesus died on the cross. It was broken. It was a token of destruction. The walls were coming down. Jesus himself was taking the place of everything. Everything from the temple to law was pointing to him. And in his death, it was destroyed. Jesus became our one and only high priest who lives forever to make intercession for us. So the temple, priesthood, it was destroyed when Jesus died. Jesus offered himself, his own blood, once and for all to make eternal redemption. So all the animal sacrifices of the temple, they're destroyed. And when Jesus made himself the mercy seat of the temple and made his own blood, the blood of the covenant, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of the temple, came down, rested on him, and raised him up from the dead. That's what we believe. God raised him from the dead, gave him glory to where he is called the Lord of glory. So no longer is the temple the place where you go to see the glory of God, but you go to Jesus to see the glory of God. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to destroy this temple, but I'm going to raise it up in the third day, he's talking about his death. He's talking about his resurrection. And what Stephen was doing was testifying to this, to say, listen, all this stuff, all the motions that you're going through, blood of goats and bulls, they can't take care of this. Uh, you can't live up anymore to a bunch of lists, to do's and don'ts, to think you can be right with God anymore. No, it is the grace of God and Jesus Christ is the only way. And Stephen testified of that whether he was ministering to widows or whether he was standing in the synagogue with others. And so the temple in the eyes of Jesus, in the eyes of Stephen, was destroyed. Physically, it may have still been standing at this time. But in all 
purposes. It was destroyed when Jesus died. And so there is hope. There's hope, and that was the message of Jesus. That's why he came. It was Stephen's hope. It's what filled his life. It's what filled the life of the church. They were so moved by it that they were willing to be dragged in before a council and eventually at the end of chapter 7 even be stoned to death because that's what happened with Stephen. You see, it was a hill worth taking because the apostles knew, Stephen knew, that lives hung in the balance and that people needed to know Jesus. And so today... And so we hear the witness of this table servant, of this sweet servant of God who so faithfully served, but yet so boldly stood before those who opposed Jesus. The question is asked of us today, do we know Christ like Stephen knew Christ? Was Christ our hope? And today, if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Now, I want you to know that Christ is changing lives. That's what he does. He changed lives in the first century. He has changed lives today. He's changed Courtney's life. He's changed lives of many people that you're sitting with today. Has he changed yours? Have you been born again? Do you know him? And today, we want to invite you. If you have never trusted in Christ before, take that step. Turn from whatever you're holding on to and trust in Christ. And church, I want to invite you uh, this time. We're going to move into a time of communion. John's going to come up, and we're do things a little bit different today. And I'm going to invite you to come. We're going to take the elements, the cup, and we're going to take the bread. And I'm going to invite you to come and, and, and get those. And then I want you to hold on to those, and then we're going to receive them together in, in, in just a bit. And so I'll direct you in that. And so we'll come and do that, come and take, uh, receive them, and then come back to our seats, and then I'll... Uh, Lead us in that time in in just a bit. But as we hold the bread and the cup this morning, I I want us to to, to really think about what we've heard today. This is what God has called out people to be. To be hearers of the word and yes, doers of the word. And and, and we see that um, front and center this morning with the first century church. People that, that were in community, that were honest with each other, vulnerable with each other, they, they knew each other well, so much so they could say, these guys are of good reputation, these guys are full of the spirit, these guys have wisdom, and they could call them out for a specific purpose. They were passionate with their witness. And so as we come to community today, and we remember the death of Jesus Christ, it causes us to look at our own lives and say, hey, are we living at peace with others? Or are, are we living rightly with God right now? And to take this time serious to really reflect and, and to pray and ask the Lord, 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 am I honoring you right now? And, 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 and to take this time and confess and to let the grace of the God, God just cover you during this time. And to remember, and he loves you. He loves you and, and he's hearing you. And, and man, if there's things in your life that are, that are standing the way between you and him right now, he wants you to come and confess. He wants you to confess to him. And the Bible says that he is one who is faithful. He is true. And and he has forgiven us. He has forgiven us. And so remember that as we hold these elements 
today. And so I want to invite you to come. John's going to lead us during this time in worship and then come and receive the elements. And then as we go back to our seat, I'll, I'll guide and lead us uh, in, in the eating of those, okay? So let me pray.